Coming up this week, we discuss cricket's Olympic bid, rap news from around the world, and catch up again with Anurata Dolabalapur. And if you're a patron of Emerging Cricket, you enjoy an extended version of this week's show. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. A huge shout out to our latest patron, John Pike. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Emerging Cricket. Enjoy yet another EC pod. Welcome again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick and as always, well, in a return I suppose, joined by (laughs) Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner. Glad to be back fellas. Uh, It sounded great without me. I'll go to you first, Nick. Uh, How was it picking up the uh, hosting reins over the last couple of weeks? Oh, it was all right. It was good. I enjoyed uh, filling in for you. I also enjoyed some of your work at the Olympics, watching a lot of that. So good on you. And thanks for your contribution to the uh, the biggest sporting event in the world. Jeez, I'll tell you what, it, there was over 350 people working on behalf of the Seven Network across Melbourne, Sydney, and in the studio that we had in Tokyo as well. So it was an unbelievable mission to get everything done. And I'm just amazed that everything went off basically without a hitch, not only from a broadcast standpoint, but the games in general. I can only really think of about a handful of COVID pullouts and cancellations over the course of the Olympics. But great to be back. Tim, Tim Cutler, how are you? You are were joined by some esteemed company this week. Uh, you care to elaborate on that? No, we're talking about you for the moment. But yes, it's great to have you back, Daniel. God, you're such a, a sport nuffy, aren't you? Some of your <laughs> tweets during the Olympics. But um, what I was amazed by is how well, because we got the Aussie feed here as well, how well it was covered by people not being there. And it sort of makes you think, you know, the next Olympics come up or a big event like that, why are you sending hundreds of staff there if you're able to commentate like it was done from a, you know, as you had that photo of Trent Copeland. I don't know who he was commentating on at the time, but just from a, a box in a studio in, a, in Australia. But no, it was really well done. It was like we talked about last week, just great to take in some of the sports you don't watch too often and uh, yeah it's good to have you back I was sitting next to Copes for quite a bit of that Olympics and I can tell you you know in the long shifts that we had between him and Chris Stubbs who I worked quite a bit with as well yeah we, we definitely got to know each other quite a bit over the 16 days it's it's inevitable when you kind of put in a VO booth but to keep it sort of within the EC family talking to Rod Lyle about all of this Olympic work and he mentioned that he had quite a similar role in the 1964 Olympics for the ABC mm. and to keep the parallels and the cycle going where were those Olympics they were also in Tokyo so nice little parallel between myself and and Roderick here one of the members of the AC crew but let's bring the idea of cricket in the Olympics into the chat here and yeah I did really enjoy fist pumping some of the underdog nations around the world winning medals unfortunately couldn't fist pump Vanuatu home in anything Tim apologies although 60% of San Marino's five athletes uh, managed to win medals at the Olympics. They hadn't won one ever and then won three in one games. It's the London Buses Olympic edition. But (laughs) the ICC very timely with their announcement this week announcing their intentions of having cricket in the Olympics 
Olympics in 2028 in LA and beyond. 2032 as well, being in Brisbane, a cricketing nation in adverted commas in Australia as well. We know how big USA cricket is and can be from an emerging cricket standpoint. But yes, a very timely announcement here, fellas. And Tim, probably starting with you, it's the inevitable sort of growth vehicle that I I think cricket needs to jump onto the Olympic Games and the Olympic movement to widen its growth throughout the world. We know how concentrated that popularity is as it is. But for the game to truly move to the next level, it probably needs to be an Olympic sport. And Tim, coming from an administrative background in stuff like this, how important will this be to Vanuatu and to other members around in the group? And for cricket, you know, as a, as a wider idea, how big can cricket be with the Olympics uh, and cricket's inclusion in that? That is the big question, and I think it's well, there's two ways of looking. I think cricket needs the Olympics, and we've talked about it before, and we can go into it a little bit now. But I think the Olympics needs cricket as well, and and maybe if India hadn't gone so well in hockey, maybe even more so. But I think for the Olympics to broaden their appeal to new markets that perhaps hadn't been as engaged in Olympics in the past, and whether that is maybe twofold with cricket being in the Olympics and let's assume the likes of, of India well, and, and Pakistan there as well would be there too and to broaden their reach but then from a cricketing point of view you know we've saw a few tweets flying around on, on Wednesday with us resharing or Shonak resharing his piece from the podcast with Matt Featherston when you know Brazil as one example will be looking to get half a million US dollars more or less straight away as cricket becomes Olympic sport and we hear those stories all over the world Japan's another one with even bigger numbers and um, Smaller countries that don't have huge Olympic budgets, I don't think we're going to see as, as much impact because the money's just not there. But, you know, horses for courses in, in different nations. You know, Brazil's a huge investor in Olympic sport and there are many others around the world. I think everyone likes to mention countries of the ilk of, of China, Russia and America, big investors again in, in gold medals, Olympics, like sports in general. But I think there's going to be lots of stories similar to the likes of Brazil and Japan all over the world. And it's not just money, it's access to high-performance centres and coaches and support that wouldn't be there otherwise. And I use the Hong Kong example there when it being an Asian game sport and we had um, full contracts there with the sports institute you get access to the sports scientists and the gyms and, and the, the testing you know, in terms of body um, and health testing there that you wouldn't have otherwise or you'd have to pay through the nose for so look it can't really be overstated as to how big this would be and I think we talk about it a lot and those that listen to the podcast a lot will be hopefully not along in their cars on the autobahn uh, Daniel Weston um, shout out to <laughs> To um to Mr. Weston, um not to Vinny though because we saw Vinny lie on that blue pitch in that blue suit of his and that was uh... it was a lot for the <laughs> eyes, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, if you commentate that many ECS games, I guess you're looking for a bit of variety. So um yeah, we talk about it a lot, and whilst we'd love to see more than eight team competitions, um look really it's it's almost irrelevant to the movement in that that what effect it would have on countries around it's just going to be so net positive unbelievable i think the argument about t20 world cups being either every two or four years is a valid one at the moment you know don't forget that all the money that comes from the media rights comes from selling as many world cups as possible and we know we've been down this this road before with how many world cups etc etc but to me it feels like if we were to get into the olympics in in men's and women's and and if it expands within the commonwealth you could potentially push that t20 world cup out to every four years so you're not trying to fill the already congested calendar we know that england and more recently india were the, the ones holding out on the olympics and 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 England's argument 
especially was that it's held during summer and they need as much of the summer as possible. But, you know, everyone's full in line and to see the ICC put that release out is exciting. I was actually in a meeting on Wednesday with all the other sports federations and the Olympic Committee here and that was the first thing we were asked about because uh, they'd seen the news and, and we'd seen it on. So it's definitely on, on people's lips. But then you look at the likes of netball who have already been jumping up and down trying to get in the 2032 Olympics and there's going to be other sports thinking similarly whether that's to get in as the special sport for LA in 2028 or whether Australia and beyond that let's hope cricket gets all its ducks in a row and has all the right people making this application because it's almost going to be like lobbying for an Olympics itself in trying to get the, the USA committee to agree to having cricket in because that's who they would be uh, presenting to in this as opposed to I think the Olympics in general to get it included into future games but uh, yeah it's great I just feel like this it's almost like Cronulla winning their first premiership. It's like finally, kind of, <laughs> uh, the the, um, the hoodoo's gone. Everything's happened, lined up. Great. Now we just need to get on with it, and uh, and hopefully there'll be good news to come. Yeah, well, as, as you said, uh, better late than never. This is something we've been banging the drum for for a number of years, and it has been frustrating seeing the you know glacial speed of progress with slowly one board and then another and then another finally agreeing to it and and finally getting on the same page so the fact that the ICC has managed to get a, a you know everybody under the tent going in the same direction on this is you know that that is an achievement in itself and and I think that's something we should recognize before we we get too excited because that you know there were a lot of objections from a lot of powerful boards and, and the fact that they've managed to talk them around is I, I, that's really impressive um I, <laughs> I, I saw in the um in the press release they claimed that there were 30 million cricket fans in the US which I mean I, I understand that they're trying to sell it to the uh, the LA organizing committee but that seems like a stretch um but you know if they can get it for 2028 then you've got Brisbane in 2032 which you'd think would be a good chance for a follow-up and then you know maybe 2036 yeah there's some sort of rumblings of India wanting to host so you know that could be a run of three Olympics and and then you know who knows from there so as you said in terms of the the funding and the facilities and 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 all of that just being in the olympics is hugely important for cricket i think you look at all of these sports and you know rock climbing and yeah you know, skateboarding and and any of these new sports they're all desperate to get in the olympics and and why is that because of the prestige that comes with it and and because as you said tim the access to facilities and funding and you know i think to our interview with matt featherston from brazil or fabio marabini from italy where you know, when they're trying to promote cricket in their countries, you know, what's the first thing that anybody, you know, potential sponsors or local councils looking to give them land for a field or you know, anybody with any involvement in sports in their countries, what's the first thing they say? It's always is the sport in the Olympics. And if it's not in the Olympics, it just becomes that much harder for them to make the case. So just being in the Olympics opens up so many more doors for, you know, 90 plus associate members around the world. So honestly, if the ICC can get this over the line into the Olympics, it, it'll probably be the arguably the biggest thing that's happened to cricket's development forever. And just looking, you know, you mentioned the idea of the, the T20 World Cup and whether that goes back to four years. That, you know, that has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Olympics every four years, T20 World Cup every four years. But that kind of gives the ICC a chance to reevaluate the proposed schedule that they were looking at doing. There was a lot of kind of contention over some of the the ideas of having a sort of pseudo Champions League and then a Champions League T20 thing and, and a lot of those kinds of tournaments that a number of the bigger full members didn't really like. So why not have something to distinguish themselves instead of having two 
T20 World Cups in that cycle, why not have, for example, a, a knockout event like they used to do with the um, <laughs> what the Champions Trophy used to be uh, way back in the late 90s, where you have sort of 16 teams maybe and, and just have a really quick, short, sharp tournament with a number of associate teams. And that would be a lot of fun or even you know, go crazy. 24 teams, knockout. You know, th- there's a lot of possibilities of producing a, a product that you know, differentiates itself from just being the T20 World Cup. You know, T20 competitions, we've got plenty of those. But having being a bit more creative with the formats, I think is you know, this is an opportunity for the ICC to do something a bit different and still retain the value of their media rights. Moving on, and some news out of Thailand this week, and a statement of intent, I think, from Thailand announcing a month-long tour of Southern Africa to travel and play against Zimbabwe and a South African emerging side. It's all with the intentions of preparing for the Women's 50 Over World Cup. Those qualifiers at the end of November. But Nick, this isn't a Mickey Mouse tour where some of these matches don't really mean a lot in the context of the global game. This is with those World Cup qualifiers in Sri Lanka in mind and a great test for the Thailand team against some of the better opposition around the world. Yeah, it's interesting. They've gone... For a month-long tour, 15 matches over the course of, um, you know, a match every couple of days, which is a decent schedule. And looking at the performance of associates in big tournaments, a lot of the time they start out strong and then sort of fade towards the end. So I think it's good in the sense that it'll help them build up you know, match stamina over a longer period of time. And, you know, looking at Zimbabwe, it'll be interesting to see how they go because Zimbabwe, of course, weren't at the 2019 T20 World Cup qualifiers because they were they were suspended at the time. So I, I think it'll be pretty even Stevens between Zimbabwe and, and Thailand. And, you know, South Africa emerging uh, on the women's side, they don't have quite as much depth as a lot of the other full members. So again, it'll be interesting to see how they go. I think Thailand will put up a pretty good fight. It's also good that they're doing it in both forms. So they're trying to get experience for the longer format, which again shows, as you said, a statement of intent. It shows good ambition that they're looking at playing that longer format and and presumably trying to compete and qualify for the Women's World Cup, which is, you know, wouldn't that be amazing over in in Sri Lanka at the end of the year? But uh, obviously that's, you know, we'll we'll see if that happens and and hopefully it does. But you you never know with current conditions and the pandemic still dragging along. I can't imagine this was cheap for them. So it shows priorities for the Thai Cricket Board and the fact that they're, you know, they're bankrolling this and, and sending the girls over there. And um, yeah, first outing as captain for Naramal Chawai, you know, with, with Sonner and Tipok still there as, as a kind of senior player. And I guess it'll be interesting to see how her leadership goes and, you know, whether there's a seamless transition or how she kind of takes up the mantle. Yeah, one thing for me as well, we talk about the rankings being or well, not accurate, especially when you're looking at associate nations and especially the leading emerging nations that you don't see women's teams or even men's below the Cricket World Cup leagues play against each other out between regions. So it's going to be great. I know that Thailand had been mentioned and I think they were lined up to come and play in the Kabuka in Rwanda and that would have been great. But um, yeah, I think just echo your thoughts there on the South African lineup you know they beat thailand fairly convincingly back in the in the world cup and then i think the last time that thailand and zimbabwe played was actually in 50 over cricket i believe in the world cup qualifier in 2017 and you know those that don't know out there in in radio lands associate women's cricketers don't play 50 over cricket international cricket until they make this qualifier because the qualification pathway is via the double qualifiers in the regions which are, are 20 overs so that's really good thinking from thailand to get the experience in and uh, like you said it'll be great to see how they line up against Zimbabwe especially and then being T20 internationals just hoping that they'll all be streamed. 
Yeah, and, and just before we move on, I, I just think it would have been good if they could have managed to line up some games against the Namibian women because obviously the Namibian women don't get that many chances to play uh, against international opposition. And, um, you know, they recently made the final of the Kwabuka tournament that you mentioned there, Tim. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a shame, a bit of a missed opportunity, but, you know, probably some, some logistical issues there as well. In other news, in the emerging game, Germany's men have taken out their first ever home try series over Norway and France in Krefeld. France made their men's T20I debut in the tournament, playing in their first recognised internationals in almost three years, while Norway made their first appearance since last year's unofficial series against Denmark in the northern summer. The Germans will next take on Spain in September. And Italy's women have claimed their first ever T20I victories in a 3-2 series defeat to Austria in Rome. The Italians won the first T20I by eight wickets, though went on to lose the next three matches before finishing the series on a high. For more news, log on to EmergingCricket.com, but coming up, part two with Anurata Dollabalabal. Hi, I'm Fabio Marabini from the Italian Cricket Board. Welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. And in terms of kind of more on the high performance uh, professionalism, maybe that's still in inverted commas, uh, you know, and, and sort of coaching side of things, there's that new facility in Krefeld that you played the series against France in. Uh, tell us a bit about the infrastructure there and how that fits in with the drive to improve on the field. Yeah, it's a massive boost for us to, to have like a home of cricket in Germany. <laughs> I think this was uh, long awaited and it's only December last year that they signed like a contract or an agreement with the facility there. So it's um, it's part of the sports club or the sports facility at uh, Bayer Udingen. That's the name of the place or the location and the city. I don't know if I'd call it a city or a town is, is Krefeld. So it's kind of the Western, almost bordering Netherlands, I'd say. And we've got we've got a cool uh, indoor facility there, so we've got three three lanes of like indoor nets, and you can still do a fair bit of. Uh, it, it's a large hall, so you can still get and do a fair bit of like fielding or other drills in there. Um, some bowling machines installed, uh, so you can go there and have have a net anytime you like. And we've got one ground which is already functional, so of course it's an astroturf. It's not a grass wicket. <laughs> I'm waiting for the day that we can have a proper cricket field in Germany. <laughs> uh, but this is the best we've got for now. No complaints. And um, yeah, like an electronic scoreboard and side screens and all of it, which is which is a rarity because you know we there's still a lot of clubs which play on uh, football grounds. They put put out like coconut mats and stuff like that. So so domestically the infrastructure is very different. So so in Krefeld, the fact that we've got like a proper, almost like a groundsman who who still manages a fair bit of that. And I think a second one is like a second second pitch next to it is also being uh, prepared or I'm not sure when it will be ready to use, but hopefully for some tournaments in the future, you can have two happening at the same facility alongside. Mm. But for now, yeah. So for the, it, it's a shame that although December was when it was opened officially or allowed, we couldn't get in until May. Uh, because of the pandemic so the first training we had as a as a unit was in May again you know fewer numbers a lot of COVID protocols uh, but that was kind of in prep for the France series so it's really cool and you know we're happy that we we have the opportunity to train there and it's a good facility um, although I have to admit you know it's fairly long distances to travel for a lot of players uh, as I said you know take seven eight hours if you're on the other side of the country but it's what it is I, I it would be cool if we had something like that in every 
uh, every region, like, you know, one for the West, one in the North, East and South, that would be the most ideal situation. But maybe five years in, down the line, that'll be the case. Now, talking a bit about the, the kind of development side of things and, and how it all fits in uh, within Germany, it is an Olympics, uh, you know, they're going on right now. Uh, for Germany, the Olympics is very important in terms of sport and, uh, I guess, government funding priorities. Uh, what would the transformative effect be on cricket in Germany if it did get to the Olympics? Oh, huge, huge. Um, so, currently, the... I hope I'm I'm not I'm saying this right. So we are still as a as a national cricketing body, we still don't come under like the big umbrella of German Sporting Association. So we've got the EOSB or the Deutsche Olympic Sportbund, and most sports are registered under them, which then means for a lot of players, for a lot of officials, coaches, all of that, you're recognized as an official sporting, um, as an official or a player, but that's not quite the case. So I think that's one of the main objectives in, in like the strategy that the DCB has put out, that we want to be integrated under the DOSB, at least in the next two, three years, because then... A lot of the funding, the infrastructure, and just being kind of closer to how most other sports work. Because um, we kind of work like on, in, in parallel lines. It's almost like we're an exclusive or a bit of a exotic sport for, for most locals. And I hope that perception changes over time. Because the more you're integrated into that German sports landscape, I think it just helps for the visibility as well as people kind of picking up cricket as a as a common sport. So I do think we've got to like improve numbers of, you know, participants who are playing cricket in Germany and you know there's a fair bit of criteria to to come under that DOSB banner, but uh, as I said that's one of the main objectives I think for the next couple of years and that would change a lot and if people recognize it as an Olympic sport there's just a lot more interest for people to come and try it. Right, because now it's it's perceived as you know some elite sport from from the English or for a lot of Germans, I guess they see it more as a South Asian sport because they probably see a lot of I don't know Indian students or so just playing in a park on the Sunday, and that's how people say, oh, you know, I've seen the sport. Is it this one? <laughs> that's the questions you get asked. So well, at least I don't think it's polo. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or croquet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so yeah if it's, if it's recognized as an olympic sport i think it would do wonders for just getting sports to local germans to kind of uh, accept it as a as a cool sport to try and you know for, for school kids or anybody to really uh, pick a bat up and say hey you know this is this is cool i want to play for germany i want to represent Germany in the Olympics because I guess as a kid you always want to play like the highest competition like I remember growing up or when I started to play cricket I was like oh I want to play in the World Cup yeah. like that's you have no idea what that means but just watching that on TV and you know kind of having role models that you look up to it's super cool and I guess that would be that would be a nice change to see. Um, speaking of growing numbers and getting to the point where you can well, once cricket becomes an Olympic sport qualify under that broader ambit of the Olympic Federation. Um, a lot of the groundwork, I guess, for having a strong enough score at the grassroots needs to happen before. And so I'm kind of interested in your work with some of the grassroots women's development. I, I know you, you also um, coach your club team in Frankfurt. So yeah, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, currently we've got, I think we've got about yeah, I mean, 18 to 20 girls in, in in our club setup. And, you know, going back a few years ago, 
I think it was only in 2015 that we started the team. So initially we we didn't even have a women's club side in in the city. So I when I enrolled at the club I just played in the men's league for a few seasons and the closest team was the women's team in Cologne which is like a couple of hours away. So I used to just go, you know, show up at the games. <laughs> and of course I was playing for the national squad so that's how I knew some of the girls but eventually it kind of came about as a development project saying you know how about we start a team and which meant you had to do a fair bit of recruitment because it's literally you know just putting out pamphlets whether it's universities elsewhere on facebook uh, using social media really i mean i guess that's the time when i figured out that it does have a big reach if you use it wisely so it literally started with only two of us women playing in the frankfurt cricket club and um yeah i mean five years now down the line we've had about 60 70 odd girls who come through the club uh, program or you know either training with us or having played some league games indoor tournaments all of that so i'm i'm quite proud of what sort of opportunities we've, we've kind of created for young girls and women and and i hope we kind of build on that and I think living in a big city and having a lot of university students or so it's also quite easy to to attract uh people and you just have to be smart <laughs> in how you promote the sport and also when when you have new people coming in especially for absolute beginners who have no idea about cricket uh you've got to make it fun and exciting for them uh, at training so it it can't be like too too technical and you just can't you know drill basics into them over like few weeks or so so you've got to try and make it as uh, engaging as possible and uh, i think we've got a good bunch of girls who are quite international as well we've got a fair bit of uh, you know the locals and again it, it's an international it's a very multicultural city same with for example the team in in hamburg or munich or so where or cologne for example some of the bigger cities i think we've got a nice nice mix of people and as i said that's kind of reflective of also what we are at the national level so it's it's been an interesting journey and it's it's kind of been hard i've to admit because when you know when i played some years ago it was just about how do you improve as a player you know what you bring to the squad in terms of skills and all that but the moment i kind of got into coaching and also working as a as a women's cricket development officer on on our club so I'm on the board as well you really got to put a lot more thought into how how you're going to try and make this or progress every year and what what you kind of how do you measure the development or you know what is what is success as a team is it you know winning games so is it bringing more people to like the sport and do they have the opportunity to play a higher level of cricket if they aspire to or are they just there to socially just you know be part of a group and you know have a bit of fitness and cricket and all of that so managing those expectations and keeping it as i said engaging for everybody that's been a tough task uh, and i know i kind of speak for for some of the girls who are doing this at other clubs as well because that's a very common discussion we have and all of us are professionals in our own right some of us playing for the national squad as well so as a player the time that i get to dedicate to to up my skills is you know it's, it's a tough balance <laughs> but that's that's how it is running in most most places and i and i genuinely hope that you know as as a board and as people who are making decisions and policies or whatever you like to call it have that in mind and kind of if that means you need to get more funds to to employ people to do this on a regular level um that should be priority because i know that a fair bit of us are you know we enjoy doing that development work but as i said having to also be an elite athlete and performing at the highest level it's a tough ask so i i hope 
most of us don't get burned out or we lose interest in this because it's it's very easy to get frustrated with all the ongoings at, at the domestic level or at the club and you know the silly politics of it all and you know how, however it is in in most parts of the world so it's uh, it can get a bit frustrating but I guess we enjoy the fact that kind of exposing the sport to a lot of people and they start to enjoy it and there's always nice feedback from from a lot of the players that have been part of our club so that kind of keeps you going uh, keeps you motivated to do what you do and you kind of see the bigger picture and for me that's also important as a you know as a as a national player and as the captain to to see what kind of talent you're bringing in whether to your clubs and then eventually to the national squad so unless you make it exciting and engaging for people it's very easy for them to drop off and go pick some other sport so as i said you just have to be smart and kind of make it quirky for people to still stay with the game and for them to kind of see how how well the women's national team's been doing is also is nice mm. i think a lot of the girls are great role models to say hey you know you can still manage to be a professional and play for the national squad represent germany you know do all those records it's, it's a great winning streak we have as well so um, I think we've put I, I, I hope we've set a good example for people who, who want to take up the sport and to kind of know what it helps you achieve or what you're able to do so um, that's quite cool but I as I said I think the, the domestic structure is kind of really kind of on on the verge of I, I wish it was a bit more bit more structured in a way um, so that there was like a standard template for most new clubs to follow and having kind of support. Uh, I think the DCB does a fair bit to really uh, push for a lot of clubs to to invest in, in women's cricket and the women's section. But again, a lot of them have different priorities as well. So it's, it's a bit of a yeah difficult path to thread. But uh, there are lots of them who are doing good work, and I guess uh, the the fact that we've got you know 15 teams now playing in the league is is amazing uh, compared to uh, the growth we've seen in you know some of our neighboring countries as well. So so it's good we're we're going in the right way. So you you started the women's section in 2015 at the at the Frankfurt Cricket Club. You know, were you not busy enough in your life at that point? I just how, how did you have time for all this? <laughs> Uh, I ask myself the same question sometimes. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, it didn't happen overnight, of course. I think it, it took us about, I think, six to eight months to really get a team together. Because we started, as I said, it was just the two of us and then trying to get some friends. And I even had, like, invited a couple of my lab mates to come and try cricket. And they're like, what is this strange sport you always keep talking about? <laughs> like, how about you come and try it? <laughs> So yeah, we kind of pulled in like friends we knew. Uh, not not everybody enjoyed it, so some didn't come back. Uh, and then I had a lot of advertising promotion and and doing it in ways that we thought might work, and it did thankfully. So yeah, it was uh, it was about six or eight months, and we got about 10, 12 of us together. We played a few indoor tournaments, and then eventually into the outdoor league. So so that's also tough when you start with beginners and you teach them a bit of skills and stuff with a softball and then suddenly you're thrown into playing a t20 game with a hardball yeah I mean I don't know if I would have started a new sport 
suddenly and then you've got to play something that you're not used to and in a competitive level it can be a bit nerve-wracking but I'm glad that most of the girls uh, hung on <laughs> we've got a few girls who I think are still part of the team who were the first few who joined so it's we always keep talking about oh how far we've come this is so cool and you know how it was five years ago how it is now and I mean I guess now even within our club it's people have to kind of fight for their spot in the 11 which is great for, for me to see that as as a coach uh, and as a, as a senior player it's it's, it's nice and you've got a, some it's a, it's a tough decision to say hey you know what you're going to sit out this game because we've got somebody better to replace you but it also kind of brings in a bit more competitiveness within the squad to, to do better to be at trainings more often and aim to play better cricket so it's it's good it's pushing us forward that way but yeah looking back it, it's crazy I think the amount of time I spend outside of work on cricket whether it's organizational stuff sorting out umpires sharing with stuff it's just uh pile up a lot more over time but we're, we're at a stage where now also as I said we've got a few girls who've been around to try and delegate some of the you know the smaller organizational tasks within the team to to the players it kind of keeps them engaged and also responsible for the team in a way so you don't have to you know I've, I've learned one thing you can't steer the ship and row it at the same time so you've got to do one or the other <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's about managing people at the end of the day as a, as a team leader isn't it so yeah well said <laughs> I'm interested in your thoughts on women's cricket specifically as a growth vehicle for the sport, especially in emerging markets, because you know, one of the things, for example, in Germany, you know, the men's soccer team has a, a long history and a lot of sort of cultural space in the country. And uh, same with men's cricket in, say, India or Australia, where there's you know a, a lot of history there, whereas you know something like cricket in Germany is it's sort of on an even footing for men and women. So do you see that as an opportunity to grow the sport around the world? I'd say so. Um, I think the lesser you can put a sport in in a box saying, you know, this is how it was played 50 years ago. This is how it is. If it's a very like a stagnant way of approaching the sport, then I think the growth will be limited. So the, the more uh, dynamic and the more exciting, like, I mean, look at T20 format, for example, like what, what a boost that is given to uh, most countries that probably wouldn't play ODI or test. I mean, for example, for, for Germany as well. And to be honest, growing up for me, uh, playing having played cricket in India, I think I always saw ODI as like a great format and test was amazing because as, as a cricketer, I really enjoyed watching it with my dad or listening to it on the radio or so so for me that was the ultimate test or the competition or to, to test the quality of a cricketer but I mean obviously now I don't have time to watch any form of cricket forget test cricket <laughs> but the fact that P20 has really changed the market and you know with the IPL the WBBL or any other form of the, the Kia Super League or so so it kind of changed the way people looked at sport being exciting to watch not just to play and I think with so many new formats coming in the, the team has been a massive hit in Europe with with the ECN and you know what they've done to kind of bring in new viewers or so same with the 100 I mean I'm still trying to get a grip on how how that works I've only watched a few games but yeah with the two towers on each side of the screen yeah <laughs> yeah it's like why is this bowler only bowling five balls why are they not changing yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god yeah 
but I mean, it's, it's a great, uh, I mean, it's great quality of cricket. It's cricket at the end of the day, you know, how you package it, how you promote it, how do you bring new viewers in is I think, you know, the administrators have probably uh, racked the brains quite a bit. And I'm, I'm sure the ECB has thought this through to, to bring in such a different format in a way, uh, but still have, you know, record viewing audiences. I, apparently the, the viewership in the last two weeks has been more than what they had uh, over the, I don't know, few few weeks of uh, the Kia Super League. I just saw some statistic this afternoon. So I think trying to invent new ways to um, put the sport out for people to view or to be involved as players or officials, I think that's important. So, you know, the game's evolving and I think you also have to find ways to get that into your structures in a way. And I feel in, in Germany for women, for girls and women to pick up cricket is perhaps a bit more easier than for an average university-going German male to get into a club and play cricket. I mean, this is something we've noticed because I guess also for, for women, because we, we have so many beginners coming into the clubs. Uh, I think we're a bit more welcoming and open. I mean, I don't mean to put the men down here, but they've got like set structures. They've got like a certain quality of cricket already happening at the domestic level. You know, who's playing it is, is secondary. But I think for women, the entry point to playing cricket at a club and then going up the ranks to play in the national team could be matter of two years and that is super exciting for somebody who's let's say a 13 year old German girl in school who says hey you know what in three years time I could represent Germany in a world cup like how amazing is that I mean we've got one of our youngest players I think she's 16 she's been playing for Germany for for the last uh, I think three four years now and I'm sure her classmates would be kind of you know envious of the fact that the 16-year-old playing for the country and she was the first, uh, she took the first wicket for Germany in the qualifier. So she's done quite a few records to her name, Emma, Emma Wagner. So as I said, I, I think cricket in for females in Germany is probably more exciting than, than many other sports for, for all of these reasons and, and why not? And I think if we can use that to to actually promote and make this a bit more accessible for people uh, you probably bring in more more participants in in the uh, women's sector and i think that's some of something that we as a as a club or at least i i do as a, as a development officer some of the clubs some of the women who kind of run that have also picked up on that and i guess also the reason why a few few teams few clubs uh, are a bit uh, better in recruiting and kind of retaining players as well it's it's worked for some still trying to find a footing but you know we also discuss that as often as we can so we can help other clubs grow so uh, it's, it's a bit like a having like a model that can work for everybody and um, that's uh, that's the hope yeah no it's a really it's a really good point it's been and one that's been brought up by a number of women's cricketers around the world, that ability to aspire quite early on in their cricketing journey to being on the biggest stage. I know for many of the Thai women, for example, there were moments in the first, second year after they started playing that they realized that they would be playing for the national team and that there was potentially a career there as well. And that kept them in the game. So it's, yeah, it's a significant difference, I think, with the men's sport. But I, I guess speaking about new formats, we've seen that women's cricket outside of the top A, top 10, has really been limited internationally to T20 thus far. And I'm wondering um, how you see that impacting the development of players into the game and skills and technical development as well. 
Yeah, I think as a player and also now perhaps as in, from a coaching perspective as well, I think it's important to play longer formats. So when I mean longer formats, it could be 40 overs, it could be ODI or, or 50 over games. Just, you know, for, for players to kind of understand or work through how do you build an innings when it's, you know, you've got to stay there for, for longer than 120 balls or as a bowler to to bowl spells and to understand or be a bit more aware of, you know, tactics and all of that. I think longer formats always help in the development as a, as a player. But again, it does come down to <laughs> what your national board set in as a, as a format or competitive uh, level. I mean, I guess T20 is a bit more easy in a way for for players as well considering we're all uh, amateur in a way and you know if you've got two days of the weekend you'd rather play maybe two t20s on a saturday as opposed to playing one 50 over game just because you've got a second opportunity to bat to bowl and to field and all of that so if you really you know dissected down the things the, the pros and cons i'm sure you can argue over it for a while but again if we are only playing in let's say at the highest level, you know, as I said, we only play T20Is. We don't really, we haven't really thought about, uh, or let's say aiming to play in the 50 over qualifier. So at least that's not on in our agenda, at least for the next couple of years. So if T20 is the format of choice, it does make sense currently to have a domestic competition as well in the T20 format. But in terms of development of players skill-wise, would be nice to have a bit of a mixed format. So uh, we did have that, I think, a couple of years ago where we'd play a 40-over game on a Saturday and then a T20 on the Sunday. And that was like a performance league structure, but went a bit, it faded away. But I, I no, it'd be nice to kind of bring that back just for a, maybe not at the first level of competition, maybe not at the Bundesliga, but more as a, as I said, like an intermediate performance structure having a 40 over or 50 over would would be nice uh, test cricket is a big no i'm pretty sure people here wouldn't <laughs> want to spend five days forget playing cricket even watching it so uh, i guess that's uh no i don't think there are too many fans of test cricket in germany See, that's funny because, you know, I think about the way their football team plays. It is quite disciplined and technical. So I would have thought maybe that Test Cricket would be the ideal format for Germany. I think they would be amazing at it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just the time and um, having that kind of interest and... Um, I don't think focus or um, being analytical about how you go through it would... I don't think that would be an issue at all. Uh, it's just more... Uh, the attention span and having to be invested for five days, I guess that's an issue. <laughs> guess, yeah, I guess um, coming to the close, there's a couple more things we wanted to touch base on. But yeah, keen to hear more about what the impact of the pandemic has been on German cricket, on the national team, on domestic cricket, and also your thoughts on how the coronavirus affects the future of the game as a, as a cricketer and health professional as well. Wow. Um, well, I guess to answer your first bit, so because of the pandemic, so last year we never had um, a domestic competition. So we kind of missed out on a whole summer of cricket pretty much. Mainly because, as I said, we, we do travel a fair bit, even if we were to play a league fixture against the team, which is maybe four hours away, or, you know, you go stay overnight uh, in a hotel or hostel, whatever, you're, you know, sharing equipment sometimes. So all of that considered organizing and sticking to how a league would 
usually gone wasn't really a possibility so but i have to admit the guys still played it so some of us weren't too happy with the fact that the women's league was cancelled and the guys still played something mm-hmm. but you know they do have teams about 20 minutes away that's a different thing um so i guess not having played any domestic fixtures or any other you know friendly tournaments or so i know some teams had a tough time to retain players because if you're not doing anything as a as a unit you know people are like you know why why I, I wouldn't I would rather do something else instead of uh, being signed up at a club where there's no activity happening which is totally understandable so i think i guess within our club it wasn't so bad because people were still around not many moved elsewhere because we do have a fair bit of people moving cities for study or for work and then you always lose out a few players after the end of the year you again look for new people and finding new people and not being able to offer trainings or matches it's hard to uh, find new recruits so i guess most teams found that quite difficult to bring in new players at least for the women i'm not sure how if the men's side really was affected as much but i'm i'm really happy that this year we, although we started a bit late uh, we've still got our league i think we're kind of in the m- middle of the league currently and some teams have really done done well to keep their players engaged whether it was doing you know online fitness sessions having you know we did our all our socials online so we were playing pictionary you know having a drink together on a, on a friday evening or so which we would have done physically at, at a bar or restaurant so uh, we've all found ways to to get around that and also for me as a as a coach trying to understand how you keep that relationship going with your players how you keep them still together as a unit and for them to be excited to come back and play or train again once things open uh was another side of you know it was a bit of a learning uh as well and um this year i think yeah going ahead i guess we've got a i mean let's hope there's not another wave coming through and having to go back into lockdown um we don't know how <laughs> bad things are but um Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I kind of feel sorry for most of the professional players who have to go into to bubbles and, you know, stay in a bit of a confined environment. I think that has a big, big effect on how you how you feel as a person and, you know, the, the whole mental well-being and being able to still perform to your highest abilities and feeling, you know, healthy uh, mentally and physically. It's, it's probably a tough ask. And you, you also see more and more people taking that time off and wanting to be away for a bit. And I guess it's a bit reflective of what the whole situation has done to people in general, not just in sport and, you know, even in other professions and overall. So um, it's a bit crap, to be honest. <laughs> and i guess we all have to find ways to to cope with it and you know find support systems uh, whatever works for each person and to be a bit more you know empathetic and understand what people are going through and i think that's also something important as a, as a team and you know something we recognize as a leadership group within within the national squad as well and you know people of families you probably are away from them for, for for many months in a row or, or even longer so to consider all that and still try and help each other out that's something we've also learned and seen how that's changed in the last 18 months um as a as a healthcare or a <laughs> biomedical person i think it's um, it it kind of shook the world in a way that we I, i don't think any of us expected but for for many of us it actually has in changed very much so for example for me i still was working in in the lab physically so because we we never really had the option of working from home in a way so uh and the fact that you know what what's going on you're kind of a bit more motivated to to work towards whatever that your focus is in a way but i guess we're all aware of what 
implications this has in terms of mutants coming out variants and all all the big issues that are happening across the globe now so it's something you've got to be prepared for in a way but um, it's a bit inevitable uh, however i mean I, all i'd say is please get vaccinated <laughs> it's the sensible thing to do i know people sometimes can be very uh, skeptical about oh you know we don't know what's going into our body all of that but believe me for for companies for scientists who have worked day in and out trying to bring out a vaccine in record time and still having to go through all the trials and all of that you know it's not for nothing so it's uh, when experts say something please do you know take heed and it's your first line of defense it's you know saving your life and people around you so you've got to be a bit uh, a bit more responsible in that so that's uh, some last words <laughs> as a as a scientist <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's not too often that we uh, we get to take medical advice from a cricket player, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, the uh, we, as as Nish said, you know, we're, we're coming to the end of our time in in the interview, and uh, what we like to do is ask all of our guests if if there's a law in cricket that they could change, what would it be and why? Yeah, it's a that's a really difficult one, but maybe more. <laughs> I don't know if it's like a specific law, but. You know I always feel like the shorter form of cricket is biased towards a batsman batter sorry <laughs> so I always wonder why why should we have like a stipulated number of overs for a bowler why is it only four overs in a in a T20 like what if, mm. if it's a good bowler why can't they have a longer spell it's not like a batter has to retire at 50 just because they're good mm-hmm. right that they're, they're going on there on a the roll so why not have your best bowlers bowl as many as they can that would be a cool you know i also enjoy bowling more than batting or at least that's how i started as a player so for me anything that favors <laughs> the bowler i'd i'd pick that uh, that's something at the top of my head <laughs> well you you are batting in the top 4 now so it's it's interesting that you're still uh, staying true to your bowling roots there yeah i mean i've worked a fair bit in the last few years on my batting but when i started off i was just a you know opening bowler i batted number 10 or 11 so there's not much records to my name <laughs> 10 years ago it's better <laughs> i dread going in and uh, facing some of the better bowlers but uh, that's changed thankfully now yeah long longer spells for bowlers that is something that does get a bit of chat and yeah it, w- it would be interesting to see that in sort of tactical sense of um you know if you're bowling well you can stay on but on the other hand if you bowl badly then you can just you know pull them straight away and someone else can fill the extra overs so yeah it's it's interesting but they do have this um this in the 100 don't they that you can do a set of 5 or you can do 10 balls in a row at least that's what i understand. yeah yeah It doesn't change the total number of deliveries they can bowl but they can they can bowl 10 in a row instead which is is kind of an interesting yeah that would do crazy things to the balance of teams <laughs> yeah <laughs> or it could kind of improve specialization i guess because you could have someone who can bowl sort of maybe 8 overs but then you'd have one person who's just there to bowl one or two overs at a specific time or against a specific batter or you know it it it'd open up a lot of interesting tactical kind of dimensions yeah <laughs> Well, Dr. Anurada Dodabalpour, it's been a pleasure hearing your thoughts on cricket in Germany and and more generally. So, thanks a lot for joining us on the Emerging Cricket podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed that too. And uh thanks for waking up super early. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and thank you for staying up late uh, on on the other side of the world. <laughs>